Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast and following up on a conversation that I had as a part of the 2023 AESA conference, I had the good fortune to connect with Seth Fleischauer, who is the president of Banyan Global Learning. And Seth is going to join us for a conversation today about digital citizenship. We're going to talk a little bit about distance learning uh, and really how we think about the role that adults play in the help or hindrance, really, as it pertains to helping our learners and our kids to be thoughtful about uh, their use with devices. Uh, We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but um, yeah, at the conference, Seth got a chance to connect uh, with my boss, Dr. Craig Lofquist, uh, and then with me at a session, and we were both just really excited at the opportunity to have Seth on the pod. So um, that being said, Seth, welcome to The Good Life, EDU. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. And I just have to say, you were a fantastic presenter at AESA. Really enjoyed your session. Very thoughtful, uh, very practical. Uh, it was on uh, AI and how teachers can use it and with some insights uh, from the students that you've worked with. And uh, it really turned a, a light bulb on in my head in terms of the the exponential nature of this. I think that I was when I, when I got to the conference and I saw all of the sessions on AI, because it was probably like 30% of the sessions, right, we're, we're on AI. And I was just like, come on, guys, we've got other stuff in education that we can talk about. Like, really, this again? And I sat in on your session and I was just like, you know what? No, like this is the exponential nature of this change and the fact that we are at the curve of this hockey stick. Like, this is something that we need to attend to if we are going to have any hope of not being left behind. So I, I really appreciated that. It was a it was a mindset shift for me that happened while I was sitting in your audience. Uh, Seth, I really appreciate that. And I uh, am also grateful to bring what I have become passionate about sharing with regards to that topic uh, and that lens to today's conversation about digital citizenship, because I think it's imperative. I think that we're gonna find, uh, as folks that listened to previous episode with Julie Smith could note, this technology is uh, going to continue to ask us to stretch the ways in which we think about supporting learners um, yeah. in, in their onboarding to it. And so thanks for taking a little time to talk on this topic. For those that don't know you, Seth, give us a little bit of your backstory and uh, set us up for maybe a little bit of an understanding of the work that you do with Bain and Global Learning. Sure. I started my career in education at the New York Academy of Sciences. Actually, I was organizing educational programs. I administered the New York City uh, Science and Engineering Fair. I uh, chaperoned the winners of that fair to the International Science and Engineering Fair. And I, I don't I don't know if I've ever been so humbled by students as when I was engaging uh, with some of those kids. Wow. From there, I became a New York City teaching fellow. So I taught uh, third and fifth grade in New York City for five years. And I taught abroad one summer. I went to Taiwan. And the school that I taught at, they they wanted me to stay there. And I had ties back in the U.S. And I, I pitched them this idea to uh, use this newfangled technology of video conferencing to continue to teach, right? Because the timing worked out. I could teach in my evening and still have my day job. And that was the beginning of Banyan Global Learning. It was me, a, a camera, and 42 fifth graders in Taiwan. And we were just figuring it out together. 
that expanded over the years where we now uh, write curriculum for uh, on-site teachers there. Um, English is a foreign language, uh, but teaching multiple subjects. We recruit teachers and we also um, train them. But here in the U.S., what we do is live virtual programming. So uh, you can think of live virtual field trips. Those are like uh, a really fun event where someone comes in and they engage with your students for uh, for a class period. What we do is is more similar to what we do with our with our students in in Asia, where it's a longer engagement. So we come in and we work with students uh, on character education, and we think of that as digital citizenship global citizenship and SEL. This was actually born out of the pandemic. Um, I responded at first to the needs of my daughter when she was suddenly isolated from her peers. I knew how to use Zoom, nobody else did. And so I started doing social calls between her and her friends. And that evolved into social calls for the entire school. And that evolved into our social emotional learning program. We, from there, developed a digital citizenship program, which we realized we've been using all of these skills, all these digital citizenship skills to create community between ourselves, our teachers in America, and our students in Asia. So it was a very natural fit for us. And so now what we do is we we have these live virtual series where it's like, you know, maybe six lessons on digital citizenship and we push in and we do all those with whole groups. And we also have small group tutoring where we can facilitate discussions. Um, the idea here is that a lot of schools, I think, are preparing their students to engage academically with devices and doing a good job of that. But they have this little tickle in the back of their head of they feel a, a moral responsibility to prepare their students for their broader digital lives. But they also have this feeling that they can possibly ask their teachers to do one more thing, <laughs> the proverbial one more thing. And so that's where we come in. We can, we essentially come in and, and teach it for you. Uh, it's also such a rapidly developing subject area that uh, I think it'd be difficult just logistically to keep your staff informed enough to be able to uh, to teach a lesson that's by the time it gets into the classroom, it's still relevant. And so I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for this to be a, a specialized content area that myself and Banyan and other other providers are coming in and, and providing the very best and, and most uh, updated information, uh, especially when you start talking about AI and how quickly everything's changing there. So yeah, that's that's what we do. We're real passionate about giving kids the, the skills that they really need for the future. You know, I hear that term life skills. Some people uh, use that to describe some of the things that we do. I think it's a little sad because I think that like all school should be life skills, you know, and 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 we've kind of we've kind of ventured away from that a little bit where it's it's not always super relevant, right? It feels like we're trying to like check a box sometimes that that doesn't necessarily prepare them for their future. And it's a, it's it's tough to know what that future even looks like. And we're doing our best to try to figure out what that looks like so that we can prepare our students for it. And I think it takes a real thoughtful, real mindful approach in order to be able to do that. And where we've arrived is that these are the skills, digital citizenship, global citizenship, uh, social emotional learning. These are the skills that kids are gonna use no matter where they end up, no matter what the future looks like. They're the ones that are gonna be foundational for them to do everything else that they need to do. 
Wow. I just find myself over here nodding my head. People can't see me, but just agreeing with all these different points that you're making and really thought provoking too, to consider uh, some of those challenges. Cause like you said, we find ourselves oftentimes, I'm just going to speak maybe as a, a parent for that matter uh, in this want to press into these spaces where we're having more uh, thoughtful conversations about the technology that we're using, but then also, I don't know if I always have all the information necessary to do that <laughs> or the perspective to bring. And uh, it is something that we've, we've certainly pressed into, but it's not easy uh, to find the time to do that. And when you think about that in the context of education and a classroom practitioner who certainly might have, as you said, that little tickle, that heart to want to uh, help and support. And there's a practicality to that as well, because it's going to help them be better learners and maybe more present in the classroom. Uh, mm. But then I appreciate your perspective there as well, saying, gosh, there's so much already on a teacher's plate that to add this might uh, be a little bit overwhelming. And so for um, Banyan to come in and be able to shoulder some of that and the rapidly developing piece being a, a part of it, if I'm catching all that right, I'm totally with you. <laughs> like I said, yeah. uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, it's not just that the teacher's plates are full. They've got 50 things they'd love to do that they're not getting to. Right. Like it is. And, and you think about the the impact of the pandemic. You know, one of those things is that all of these tech tools were introduced to teachers. So that's one great thing. You know, we, we do distance learning. It used to be that a huge obstacle to getting teachers to engage with distance learning was simply like turn it, turning on Zoom, right? like just, just connecting. And so much of that is gone now, right? Like every single teacher in the entire country has some sort of tech proficiency that they did not have before the pandemic. But all of that stuff was added to the teacher's plate and nothing was taken off right so like and this is to say nothing of where students are and and the additional challenges of learning loss and and behavioral issues as a result of of some real isolation and trauma during the pandemic i mean it is a challenging profession right now and i think that the the more we can do to create little ways to make the teacher's job easier to make uh, to use tech to make it more efficient. These are the things that technology is great for that I'm hoping can create some some more stability within the profession. Wow. Yeah, that certainly is reflected in even the structure of our ESU network statewide. I know I've had some informal conversations with folks that if you think about it like a Venn diagram, we have our network and operations committee. We have our teaching and learning with technology kind of tech integrationist group. And historically, there was a time where, where those two groups were actually kind of one of and the same for very much the reason mm -hmm. that you started off with there, that they, we needed to find a way to actually get that Zoom connection set up and, and access. But over time, that Venn diagram, that balance, I guess, has kind of uh, shifted where that teaching and learning, those tech integrationists now work more with our staff developers, or at least mm -hmm. their work is more aligned with their staff developers. And it's been interesting in my short time in this role to watch it happen as a result of the pandemic and furthered by Artificial intelligence, is, <laughs> you know, uh, very much to, to your point. And so uh, before we hit record today, we talked a little bit about the uh, the role that adults play. Uh, and that's something that yeah. you kind of mentioned as being at the forefront of your thoughts at the moment. So maybe speak to that factor in the larger scheme of digital citizenship. Or am I framing that correctly? Absolutely. So we think of digital citizenship as staying safe and building community online. We're not doom and gloom around it. We understand that especially parents really want to take care of that safety and security piece before they start talking about opportunity and advocacy. Uh, but obviously, you know, tech tech is a tool. It's neutral. And you're going to be able to use it in good ways and use it in bad ways. And a lot of the social and emotional components 
of behavior just get exacerbated in the online space where it's uh, because of this expanded audience, it's uh, it's that much easier to feel isolated or to feel uh, celebrated, right? And And it's crazy to me to think how different this is for young learners as they navigate their childhood. I just think about the fact, a very simple thing, like my daughter has a, a text chain and has seven friends on this text chain. Like back when I was a kid, if you had three-way calling, like that was fancy, you know? <laughs> and, and like, and all the nefarious things you could do with that. Um, but uh, in terms of like, you know, seeing if someone liked you or not, but being on the three-way call. Uh, but all that stuff's out in the open now, right? Because you're texting with seven of your friends at one time. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is like, is cyberbullying. I think that that, that term gets thrown around a lot for uh, behavior that's just kind of mean online. And there's a difference between like targeted systematic bullying and kids just being kids, but in this new space where it's all amplified. And so, um, so we really try to talk about the value component behind that. Like what kind of person do you want to be and how can that be reflected online? And that's where I think the adults really come in. I think it was Julie Smith on, on one of the previous episodes of your podcast who mentioned that I think it's high school freshmen right now with the iPhone coming out in 2008 or whatever, that they're the first, uh, first people for whom smartphones have been in their parents' hands the entirety of their lives. And I think that we're going to look back at this time, the kind of the same way that we look back at, uh, you know, pregnant women in the fifties smoking cigarettes, <laughs> or just like, I can't believe we let people do these things. <laughs> and one of those things is like, you know, social media for kids, but also with adults, you know, we, we never had any sort of training on this. These things, these devices were just put into our hands and we became part of the experiment. And these devices are designed by billion dollar companies for us to not think very hard about what we're actually doing here. My co-host on my podcast, Make It Mindful, she pointed out that you, you know how like when you're on a uh, on an app and you pull down to get it to reload, that that is uh, supposed to mimic slot machines, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. Like, I mean, this stuff is like it's built to be addictive. And so there's there's that component of addiction, which I think is something that in order for people to get anywhere with it you have to bring consciousness to it you have to step back and be objective about it and so when we work with parents and when we work with teachers it's not about having a right answer like hey like this is the way you are supposed to behave there's some of that there's some best practices for sure and there's some research that can point you in certain directions but what we really, really want people to consider is how do their values get reflected in the online space? And a good question here, because it, it's all about questions, right? It's it's not about having a right answer. And you're nodding because you're all about AI. Yes, it's all about questions, right? Um, it's not about having a right answer. It's about having your answer, your answer that reflects your values. Um, and a good example of this is like, what do you share online, Right. Why do you share what you share? Why don't you share what you don't share? And is that reflective of who you want to be as a person? Are the people who are seeing that, the people that you want to see that, 
who are you sharing it for? And is there a correlation between who you're sharing it for and who's actually seeing it? Um, and then for like a parent perspective, how is that different for your kid and why? Right. Like if, if you're saying that, like, here's what I share, but you're not allowed to share that yet. Why not? What is the reason for that? And in the answer to that, that's the conversation. That's the authenticity that's going to get your student to actually start to consider their own digital life and bring some intentionality to it rather than just digesting and posting and, and sort of becoming this like digital automaton. You need to have that gray area, that struggle, that that moment of of consideration, that that willingness to look at your own behavior and change. Like that's the type of behavior we want to be able to model for and instill in our kids. And it's not just a list of like multiple choice answers around digital citizenship. It is a it, it's it's hard conversations, and and adults can be there for that. I find this so practical to my day-to-day -day rhythms. I have a middle schooler for the first, it's my first semester of parenting a middle schooler, but I certainly have raised my daughter to this point um, with a little bit of tech savvy, but she's honest with me. And so we've had a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. She does have Snapchat and now we use AI for uh, educational purposes on there. But part of what you shared there resonates across a couple different examples. And so like one would be to say that recently uh, she made kind of a, Let's say it like this. If you have seven different conversations going on with seven different people in each of those conversations, you might very flippantly respond to any one of those in a way that brings up some sort of microaggression or triggers someone in some way very uh, unintentionally. Uh, and 12-year-olds aren't the greatest at expressing their feelings anyway, let alone in writing. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's like this whole kind of like struggle that I think is, is in that space that she and I have talked about. Like be intentional. If you're going to respond, make yeah. sure that you look at it one more time before you hit send and make sure that's really mm. the thing that you want to say. And uh, she has an example of, of something that came up recently with her. Um, they're starting to date now, friend groups and such. And one boy stopped seeing a certain girl and started seeing someone else. And this was something that the group kind of rallied around policing as a behavior that they were not going to accept for some of the things that this individual had said, done, etc. Huh. Um, and so some of them were piling on through their social media negative comments about this individual. And so to speak to gray areas, right, that's one where you're saying, okay, well, um, it is that individual's choices that led to these reactions uh, by the social group that that person has chosen to be a part of. But at the same time, is it, does my daughter need to like, pile on either and is that cyberbullying when really yeah. it's you know trying to i think as a group establish what they deem to be acceptable norms for yeah. those social interactions as they're exploring oh. them. and it, it's so complicated super, yeah it's super great <laughs> but you got to have the talk right because there's not yeah. really like a check a b c or d in terms of the yeah. actions that you're going to take and she ha should have the power to make those decisions on her own um, but needs to again uh, to maybe bring this full circle be thoughtful about it and have a conversation yeah. and then make a uh, eyes wide open decision. Yeah. And that first thing that you said, take a pause, look at it, make sure it's what you want to send and then send it like that's that's like number one in all this stuff. Right. Like and, and that's that's an act of mindfulness. Right. Like that that is a moment to pause and consider and to take yourself out of the emotions, the whatever dopamine kick you're getting by responding and seeing that little blue bubble pop up, uh, you know, um, uh, just taking that moment to consider that's 
critical. And I think that was actually, uh, there's a New York Times article recently, uh, and it was like teens advice for teens around social media. And that was number one on, on the list was like, pause before you respond. Think, think and pause before you respond. Um, another one there, which is like a pretty, a, this is one of those like best practices where it's, it's easier said than done, but all the research points to this is like beds are for sleeping <laughs> and, and not for scrolling. Right. And, and I, I, I'm guilty of that as, as well, right? Like I, I have to put up my own safeguards around social media. So one of the, my, my favorite things that I did recently, uh, so I'm showing you my phone right now. I think you can notice it's grayscale, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a little setting on your iPhone that you can make it grayscale and then you can easily like uh, triple click to, to bring the color back if you're like taking a picture or you're playing Wordle or, you know, whatever you need. Um, but the act of making it grayscale is a constant reminder that I want to be mindful about how I'm interacting with my phone, right? So it's just, it's a trick that's worked for me. It's also just like a lot more boring to look at <laughs> when it's grayscale. And, uh, and then when you turn it back on to color, you realize like how like dripping with saturation these colors are, like it is like a candy store, right? And and I actually, I showed it to my daughter and she was like, oh, cool. Can I, can I do that too? And I'm like, yeah, let me, let me, let me show you how. Um, and it's, it's this and a thousand other things that might work for you, might work for someone else. And it's about having that, that dialogue, that open conversation that like, oh, I caught myself doing this thing the other day, even though I know I don't want to do that. Like, can I, can I have some help and like how I can set up some safeguards around that or uh you know and the subtext of this conversation has been a lot of parenting but this is also for the classroom right like there there's a whole lot of tech in the classroom these days and even you know the little creature in class dojo who's jumping up and down and and doing things like that's like a dopamine kick right and so and so you're using tech to do something that you used to do on the chalkboard how is that impacting what's happening how does that make it like the same or different what are the benefits what are the drawbacks because class dojo just to stick with that example also has that like parent portal you can like take pictures and put them up and now now parents like know what's going on in the classroom in a way that they never could have before like that's that's amazing right so there, there's the opportunity piece uh, what, what are, what are the dangers and how can a teacher as the adult in the room help establish the idea, not that these are the parameters, but there should be parameters and let's talk about what those should be. Do you see that as being, let's circle back then to what degree should we want to be responsible for that in education? Maybe wants not even the word. I think it's more of a, is it necessary for learning? And for the betterment of, I mean, everyone shows up for for great test scores, right? No, everybody shows up to like <laughs> help kiddos, right? Like grow into the people that they can become, like, and uh, and to hopefully impart some some wisdom and learning along the way that gets them there. So, uh, yeah, speak, I guess, then to the heart behind the want to step into those spaces in what is sometimes a full plate and a and a busy time frame when you, especially at the secondary level, have them for like 40 minutes, right? Perhaps. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's imperative at the same time. So I'll, I'm, I'm with you, uh, but maybe kind of flush that out a little bit. Yeah. I think that the, the best thing that a teacher can do is have a mindful practice with their own digital citizenship. And if they do, then 
even if you're not teaching the subject directly, it will come out in micro interactions all the time. And you will be modeling a thoughtful behavior with tech. You'll be planting seeds of consideration for students. And so even if you don't have the time to really dive into the subject matter, you're pulling up resources all the time. Like to, to go back to like media literacy, which is a component of all this stuff. Uh, and, and Julie Smith in that episode, you know, you're pulling up resources all the time in class, like a little bit of a discussion about how you settled on that resource, right? Why, why you believe that this is true information, how you verified it as being true by checking all these other sites to see if other people were also talking about it by having a, a list of outlets that you see as trustworthy and, and why, you know, bringing that sort of dialogue into a classroom is an example of a, of a way that you can do that in a small interaction by just being thoughtful about what you're already doing. Uh, and would you say too, sharing with, let's say secondary students, little tricks like you said with the, again, the getting back scale. to that grayscale on the phone yeah. uh, about uh, opportunities for it to turn itself off after a certain period of time or setting even reminders for when you want to do home, like using the phone essentially to help uh, point you back towards the things that you want to be about and be productive in. Uh, yeah. And even accessing those, uh, and I know it sort of comes up automatically, at least on my phone, but uh, your percentages, like how much time are you really spending on this and taking the time to look at that periodically and reassess your yeah. uh, what you're doing as a result. So, yeah. And I know we don't want to talk strategies, but just to kind of give that some practical context too for folks that are trying to frame how that might meet the conversations you're already having in the classroom, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh when we teach digital citizenship, we spend a lot of time talking about stories and real context, real real occurrences, things that have actually happened, or uh, maybe it's like a, a set of images. Like imagine like a guy walking down the street and there's a little device like sitting on his back, like he's riding on his shoulders and the cell phone has arms and it's covering his eyes as he's walking, right? And you just present that to a group of students and you're like, let's talk about this. What do you see? <laughs> those sort of open-ended conversations because kids all, they all have these relationships already. So it's a matter of giving them the opportunity to, to voice what's actually going on. And if you can create trust by showing that you yourself are thoughtful about your own behavior, then I think that is fertile ground for students to be able to come with authenticity and for you to get to the bottom of what's really going on with them. Uh, it so speaks to, to my heart as an English teacher from my days in the classroom. <laughs> I feel like uh, I want to go back and teach Fahrenheit 451 again, where we have like a lot of space <laughs> to kind of pivot and bring those conversations of today to and through that text and apply some of those lenses. Because yeah, this is doesn't have to be a an additional conversation, it can just be kind of, I sometimes say like double Dutch layered in, right? Like we're doing what we're, mm -hmm. the one hand's you know, bringing the regular content and, and learning, but the other is just layering in where it makes sense to uh, some of those strategies as it comes up. And um, maybe selfishly one topic to, to press into before we move to talking about podcasts and kind of bring the episode a little bit to a close. A conversation in our house often becomes around screen time. Uh, and I, I can tell that you're a very thoughtful person about the nuances when it comes to devices, device use, digital citizenship, obviously. Um, and so what thoughts do you have with how not all screen time is created equal? Would you that's agree? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the crux of it, right? Um, 
I have a friend, uh, Carrie Rogers Whitehead. She has a company called Digital Responsibility. And she was talking about a spectrum of uh, productivity versus passivity and, uh, and how she lays screen time along those along that spectrum. And I think there's something to that. She's from a gaming family. And so uh, she sees gaming as productive. But if I, you know, when my son wants to, my son's seven, and if he wants to go on his device, for me, there's a difference between him engaging on Roblox, which has some really interesting things going on. It also has some really uninteresting things going on. Uh, but you know, for him to engage on Roblox versus like watching a show on Netflix, like Netflix would be like kind of th this end of the spectrum of like you are just passive sitting there watching, um, you know, social media is one of those like dynamic areas where there could be some real benefit to what you're doing in terms of advocacy and social connection and learning but there could also be some real there's a real downside to it in terms of the the dependency the dopamine kick the comparing ourselves to others so that's that's kind of a dynamic almost almost like a separate category here right because there there's a productivity element to it but there's also a destructiveness element to it and uh, and then YouTube is one where I think it's like, that's like a, another weird, is it productive or is it not, right? Because I'm like, my when my son goes on YouTube, uh, it's usually to see if he can find the most violent plane crash he can find. Like that's his like thing right now is like, he's obsessed with travel. And so like planes, and then he just wants to like, I don't know, he's, he's a seven-year-old boy. So, so like, boom, boom, go crash, you know? Like, he just, like, that's what he's into. Whereas my daughter goes on YouTube and, like, learns how to crochet. And so there's a spectrum within YouTube, right? So so all of these things, it's like, let's take a step back and let's say, what what is this getting us? What are the potential benefits of what we're doing right now? What are the potential pitfalls? Uh, for me, watching TV alone there's not a ton of benefits that you can get from that. The TV time in our family tends to be communal. Uh, so it's more of like a social watching and we'll you know talk about the show afterwards and look forward to it together and make it more of a, a communal time. I'm sure, and there are some families that don't even do that at all, which also works. But we can't ignore the potential for productivity with these devices. Uh, I have screen time set up on my kids' devices where there uh, are limits in certain categories. And then there are certain apps that, that are not limited. And like FaceTime is one of those because uh, I think it's a great social tool. There's a, an art app that my daughter uses that is not limited. She can go on there. She can draw as much as she wants. Even though I, as the old person in that dynamic, I, I'm like, oh, why can't you use paper? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But like for her, like she's really into digital art. Like that's the thing that she that she wants to do. And she does some of it on paper, too. But she loves the ability to like go in and like do something and then get rid of it and then try it again and and like bring in these different textures and patterns and all this stuff that like you wouldn't be able to do if you were just using paper. Right. So it's, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn a new style of something that even if I'm not personally super into it, I have to acknowledge that she is. And so that app is excluded from from downtime. Uh, so it's it's a case by case basis uh, and not just an app by app basis, but like, how is this app interacting with this student, this person at this time? <laughs> You know, you know, with this particular version of it, right? Like it's 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 all very, very specific. 
So this is like you've been hanging out at my house when I'm having conversations <laughs> with my kids. My my son, who's nine, who basically uses his laptop to go, he would like to go to his room and just watch YouTube videos, some of which are for educational purposes, where he's learning how to do different skills and tasks, and others have no academic or Mr. Beast, maybe. Benefit. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Just entertainment. And uh, when he gets grounded from his device, he's really grounded from those two opportunities, right? And so sometimes hmm. we'll still allow him to access that for a productive purpose as long as he does that in a space where other people are but then he gets really mad that his sister gets access to her phone even when she's quote-unquote grounded from it but we have to have the conversation about but this isn't to add to your list there i think a social outlet for her and a way in which she interacts Mm -hmm. with folks and so facetime is okay you know social media stuff as long as you're in the presence of other people in the household to very much to your Mm -hmm. point we're gonna we're gonna try to stay away from bedrooms and bathrooms when it comes to that (laughs) (laughs) but but if you want to listen to a podcast in any and all of those situations, mm-hmm. you're more than welcome to do that or music. And so for him, and I totally get it at nine, he's like, why does she get her screen in there? And I don't, because it's not that simple, buddy. Like, and, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we, we try to play games together and watch um, things in the same space and shared viewing is different from viewing in isolation. And uh, gosh, maybe we should bring it to this and say, it's no surprise that that is a really difficult thing uh, to really bring a, like a ongoing professional learning around because of hmm. the nuances of these uh, because it's rapidly evolving we've not even really talked a whole lot about the ai influence on these conversations but just that thoughtfulness and and pressing into those is great to have uh today's conversation to illustrate the types of uh nuances that might go into the dialogue that you're having with kiddos in the classroom or at home and uh yeah. so thanks for for walking us through that road um maybe if you would for folks that were interested as a result of today's conversation to learn a little bit more about banyan can you capture i know let, let's talk that distance learning piece here briefly for what your organization provides and yeah what people can expect if they uh were to go seek you out online absolutely so we provide live virtual learning for character education, uh, digital citizenship, global citizenship, SEL, the programs that we run are kind of half entertainment, half education. Uh, we a- acknowledge that when you are providing learning on a screen, that you need to bring something extra to make sure that you are continuing to engage the students. But that that human component is also critical and essential, right? So it's not just about like putting on a YouTube video for them. Like we are a, a live interactive video that knows their name and can talk to them and can pull interactivity out of them. And as I said before, couple that with small group live virtual tutoring. So that's a package where like if you're... Uh, principal wants to bring digital citizenship to your school, but uh, I couldn't possibly ask their teachers to do one more thing. You can bring us in and we can do it for you. Uh, Or if we just do the live virtual programs, that's a series of programs that we deliver to whole groups. We can deliver that to entire district at one time. Uh, So there's an opportunity there for uh, just injecting some excitement into what you're already doing. So I, well, and I was going to quick interject if we're okay to do this, like, yep, uh, yep. And that's K-12. Right. Yeah, we have programs for K-12. Most of distance learning happens in K through eight for one reason or another. I'm not sure, but we have uh, more robust offerings there. Uh, But we love our high schoolers as well. And obviously, this is real fertile ground for high schoolers. Um, and you can find more information about that at, at BanyanGlobalLearning.com, B-A-N-Y-A-N, uh, where you can see a list of our live virtual programs. And if you like the sound of my podcast voice, uh, you can also 
Uh, listen to me on not one, but two, two podcasts. Uh, I have one podcast called Why Distance Learning, which I run with my co-hosts from the Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration. That's like a marketplace for live virtual field trips. We interview content providers, teachers, ESA professionals, students about live virtual learning and the benefits of it. I'm sure a bunch of people in Nebraska know about CILC because uh, distance learning is actually pretty robust in Nebraska. You guys have a really strong operation uh, that is done inside of Nebraska between Nebraska people offering like high school courses to people all across the state. Uh, it reminds me of uh, an operation that I saw in Utah that's similar where if you've got a special class that you want to offer that uh, you only have two students who want to take it at your school, but you've got another 10 at like different schools across the state. Uh, here we go. And it's such an awesome use of the technology. So really, really big fan of what you guys do in Nebraska with distance learning. And so that's, that's why distance learning. And then my other podcast is called Make It Mindful. Uh, soon we will have a guest, uh, Mr. Andrew Easton. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's fantastic. We're doing a home and away here. Uh, but uh, we'll be zooming in on AI there. Um, for Make It Mindful, we apply a mindfulness lens to education uh, to prepare teachers to go into the classroom with a mindset that will allow them to see what's going on free of judgment and uh, bring their true selves to the classroom. That's easier said than done, but what we do is we have people come on who are educational change makers, who are considering different ways of doing things, and we really try to drill into the why and the purpose behind it, asking them what do they really notice about what's happening here as a way to prepare teachers to to go into back into the classrooms. So uh, I've had some amazing conversations on both of these podcasts. I love podcasting. I love meeting people. It like it it tickles a lot of my curiosities. I, I love just learning about what great things are being done in education. And it's like a flow state kind of like I don't know how into podcasting you want you want to make this discussion, but like I just really love the idea of of having that conversation with someone, getting into that space where you your exchange of ideas becomes its own dynamic. And it's meditative, right? It's 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 incredible to be able to like uh, get there with someone uh, and to do it in a way that can then be recorded and shared with other people. It's such an opportunity, such a blessing. So uh, I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to come on yours. Uh, big fan of yours, new fan, but big fan. Uh, yeah, and, and I hope that, that people can check out ours as well and get something out of it. Well, and for folks who are interested, make sure that you check our show notes as we'll put direct links to both those podcasts uh, and also to the Banyan Global Learning site. And Seth, is it oversimplification? Say ditto. Uh, like, I just like, I'm right with you that it is. It's it's a real blessing to be able to have the opportunity to have conversations like the one we've had today uh, and to listen in to those and uh, to share those with others, because we are truly better together. And it is mm -hmm. uplifting to me, I would say, in addition to all the, to connect with folks who are as passionate as yourself uh, and others that we have a good fortune to host on here. Uh, because there are, as I've said before on this show, so many negative narratives uh, about education mm -hmm. uh, that to have a space that you can count on to go to where you're going to be able to uh, grow as a professional, feel uh, inspired and uplifted is hopefully a, a goal of that. And so the more great content we can point folks to, uh, like yours. Really excited to do that. So thanks for your time today, uh, for all your advocacy, 
not only on this episode, but in all that you do and for helping us all be a little bit better together as a result of our, our shared dialogue. Ah, oh, and I just got the name of your podcast. I get why it's called that now. Right? It's all, <laughs> all about fighting that, fighting that negative narrative, right? Let's see the opportunity in all this. That's beautiful. It's the good life for sure here in Nebraska. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for being on the pod and hopefully uh, we'll have you back on soon. Ah, oh, that'd be great. Thanks so much. Thanks.